A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 246 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and now Spotify and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me, like the constant need of repairs to the Falcon, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Man, is that right? Oh, God, hitting 40 sucks. <laughs> I'm breaking down all over the place now. Yeah, we are getting old, man. It's rough, too. It is a turn. When they say over the hill, they ain't kidding. Better than under it, but you're hitting there because you're on the downward slope. But then again, you know, if you can be like, you know, if you could have been alive in ancient Greek times and run for president now, I guess maybe maybe it's, it's, it's all right because that seems to be kind of the field. So maybe, you know, maybe 75 is the new 30. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> uh, numbers game. It's all a numbers game anymore, Nate. <laughs> Even with Star Wars. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And 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 I will say, when it comes to numbers, numbers, of course, could also relate to size. We'll probably deal with this, I guess, in our feedback episode at some point, because it'll. I'm sure it'll come up. Or it might come up in the comics episode, which this is not, by the way, folks. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I don't know if you saw it. Matt Martin... Today, as the day that we're recording this, the day prior to apparently the premiere of what Project Luminous is going to be, basically answered a Twitter question about how more or less the current stories tend to be very small in scale, not very epic, like they're really playing it safe. And his answer was basically, yeah, well, I kind of like the more private stories. It just seems like, you know, it was just too much or whatever whenever we were doing all these big galaxy-spanning stories and stuff like that. I have this tweet pulled up. I'm so glad uh-huh. you brought this up. Yeah, yeah, but but it's because that that was the only Star Wars of its time back then. So it could so we had to do the biggest thing possible. All right. Yep. So what you're basically saying is we can't do it in publishing because we can't make that the biggest thing possible because there's other Star Wars stuff out there. Which is what we've been saying all along that you're playing it safe. Because you don't want to step on the toes of all the friggin' movies and stuff, because that's where the epic stuff happens, not in the books or comics anymore. But that's fine. That's fine. That's... We'll, we'll hold that for another time, because it doesn't that's really fit so exactly cool. with what we're covering this episode, uh, which is different, by the way, than our original plan. We originally planned books and then comics and then the other stuff for our year in review. We have now flip-flopped the other stuff and comics just to allow a little bit more time to go back and review some of the comics before trying to talk about them intelligently on an episode again, because some of those, it's been a while and they were somewhat forgettable. So we want to make sure we kind of remember what we're talking about. I'm, I'm looking at the 2019 comics and I was like, oh my God, did I not read any of this? There was so much stuff out there that I'm just like, 
I must have just started just setting it off to the side and just not paying attention. And I was just focused on the other stuff because then I'm like looking back and I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be able to read all this in two weeks. I'm like, Nate, we're going to have to do something different here, man. I'm, I'm panicking. I'm, I'm only in Afra and I've got so many other series to get into here. And even with Afra, I'm like, man, I barely remember what happened in the last one before. So I'm like going back and rereading 2018 issues that I've already read that I slightly forgot half of it. But that's so funny you brought up that Matt Martin post, though, because I, I literally had it on there because I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about it at all. Just for clarification's sake, it was uh, Pizza Guy, LOL, uh, had had tweeted him. He goes, Matt, I noticed that Canon has been playing it relatively, quote unquote, safe compared to Legends. We're not getting big stories like OG Jedi Academy or Thrawn trilogies. Everything is on a small scale. Is this a directive or do authors get to write what they want? And then, as you said, he goes, honestly, I prefer smaller, more personal stories in mediums like novels that really have an opportunity to explore character. If everything is a galaxy-threatening story, it just gets old, especially when there are new films coming out tackling that sort of thing. That's not to say these larger stories haven't or won't be done in other mediums. We're just more thoughtful about it. When the books you're referring to came out, they were essentially the only Star Wars coming out. Therefore, they needed to be the biggest stories they could be. Which which I'm in that same boat. It's like, wow, Matt, sounds like you, you found Legends kind of old and boring. Whereas I... Yeah, I, yeah he did. That's, that's a big <laughs> criticism of basically all early Legends, in essence, because of it being so galaxy galaxy threatening each time. And I like that we're more thoughtful about it now. Again, kind of a I don't think he's meaning to basically flip the bird at those right. you know, who are legends writers, but it's a, I just prefer smaller stories because you can get into more character within books. Yeah, you can also do more epic stuff because you don't have to worry about the budget for a movie either. Right. And so think about how, how thought way. out New Jedi Order was, too. I mean, like at that point, they figured out, like, we really need to just stop doing the biggest threat coming next. How can we do it in a way that's different than before? Well, we'll bring in the species that's the threat. They'll be so big and their technology will be so different that the understanding is what's so massive about them. And they've got to they've got to start to understand. I love that aspect of it. But right, yeah, but, but that's not but, what we're talking about here. Right. But but Mark, accessibility, accessibility. Oh. Um, oh, it's funny though because I just um, every once in a while I'll rewatch some of my old stuff on YouTube just you know to kind of refresh my memory on what I've said before or just to kind of clear my head if it's something where I just I need some kind of sound in the background um, and I want to just go back to some old ideas and I just rewatched the first episode of my vlog from the other day um, which is basically whether or not a reboot was inevitable mm-hmm. and it, it sort of delved into into similar stuff the uh, the whole idea of you know how do you not make people have to do homework and that sort of thing? But anyway, so we'll, we'll probably wind up running back into this when it comes to comics um, next time around. Possibly but this both. time is our other stuff episode, so uh, let's let's roll. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars. This episode, we're going to be focusing on the games, the television, and the uh, other stuff released in 2019, with our next episode, of course, being the comics of 2019. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentence of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right. We're going to start with the stuff that we probably don't have as much to say 
uh, about so that we can sort of keep ourselves constrained time-wise here a little bit. So we start with the tabletop games. And the tabletop games, again, typically are from Fantasy Flight Games. They've been the license holder for a while now. So when it comes to their miniature games, uh, we have X-Wing. X-Wing is going gangbusters right now. Uh, the second edition launched, and uh, then we get into 2018, uh, or sorry, excuse me, 2019, with uh, some new factions emerging here. So instead of it just being Rebels, Imperials, First Order, Resistance and Scum and Villainy, now there's also the Republic and the Separatists added into the game, the Galactic Republic and Separatist Alliance factions, uh, which meant a whole bunch of stuff. So they released quite a few new expansions. Usually they're releasing a lot all at once in one big burst at a time, the big waves, bigger than the previous waves for first edition. We started with uh, for Separatists, Servants of Strife, for the Republic, Guardians of the Republic, but also Sith Infiltrator, Vulture-class Droid Starfighter, Delta-7 Ether Sprite, and Arc-170 for the Republic this time, not the Rebels, TIE Striker, uh, the Z-95 AF-4 Headhunter, the ASF-01 B-Wing, the BT-49 Decimator, the Special Forces TIE for the First Order, the TIE Silencer, but it was smaller this time than in First Edition, the model was smaller, uh, Resistance Transport, Hyena-class bomber, Naboo Royal N1 starfighter, the Ghost, the Punishing One, the M3A Interceptor, the Inquisitor's Tie, the Nantex-class starfighter, the BTLB, that is the Clone Wars-era Y-Wing, the Tantivi 4 and Sea Rock Cruiser, which finally brought the Epic ships back into the mix, the Huge Ships Conversion Kit, and the Epic Battles expansion that allows you to do more stuff with uh, scenario-based larger battles. So 2019 had a lot of different releases for second edition. For me, this is actually the year that I gave up on X-Wing, mm -hmm. um, because this was the year of just, it, it became too much. The The physical space needed to hold on to this stuff when I really wasn't playing very much anymore. Um, the fact that these, these releases weren't like, here's a wave of like five ships or six ships. It's like, here's a wave that's going to run you two to $300 every time there's a new wave. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it uh, you know, a fair amount of it was new, but some of the stuff was essentially reissues for second edition. And my thing was that I was collecting all of them, one of each product, so I could review them on the page, uh, the YouTube channel, and then hang on to them for my collection. But I wasn't going to be doing anything with them. I really didn't have a place to put them or put them on display. So it was either hang on to them just so that someday when Kate is old enough not to break them, he'll play with them. And that's kind of a stupid way to do it because these aren't really meant to be little kids' toys. Or finally get out of it. So I kept a couple of my playmats that I use for backgrounds when I do YouTube videos and then sold the rest of it off, canceled my pre-orders. I am done with X-Wing. The game itself is very solid still. And if you're trying to jump into it, there's a lot of options now for which side you want to take. But at this point, it almost feels like what the old complaints were to me of Legends, mm -hmm. which is there's so much of it. And since, just like Legends readers often board game enthusiasts tend to often have a completist mindset. There's a lot to try to buy. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the trickle effect hasn't started yet. It's all still, you know, giant waves, not little trickles of stuff. So to me, it was time to jump out. Um, but X-Wing is still going strong. We have uh, the other ship-based tabletop game for them with miniatures, which is Armada. Armada had very little in 2019, but the stuff they had was pretty important. They had their second campaign called uh, Rebellion in the Rim, which lets you play different sort of linked games where there's a campaign where what happens in one game, one battle between your sides, 
and another battle between the sides, uh, between different players, winds up actually affecting what comes next and allows you to actually level up the leader of your fleets, which is kind of mm. cool in this case, task forces. Um, and this is the year that they released the Super Star Destroyer Executor expansion pack. This massive, I want to say $200, if I remember correctly, ridiculously huge, detailed executor model for play in the game that it that it costs so much point wise to play it in the game that you have to play certain alternate modes of the game because it's so damn expensive just to field one of those things um it is a beautiful model it's awesome um but armada still is just it's, it's like it barely exists. They announced two more ships back in 2019, except both of them didn't get released until early 2020. The uh, Onager-class Star Destroyer and the Nadiri Starhawk from the Aftermath books. And if you want to feel like they're maybe sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to find out which new ships to add, the Onager-class Star Destroyer had only appeared in the Rebel Files uh, Vault Edition kind of book, that oh, the, wow. the guidebook. Otherwise, it had appeared nowhere. And wow. they grab that to use to be able to have something to put in with the Starhawk. Um, so of the ship ones, X-Wing's going strong. Armada's still continuing, just at, at a trickle. I, I think the trickle pace with Armada has got to be due to the price of what you're getting. I mean, if you think about Armada putting out the same amount of ships, that, that $200 price tag would be about almost 1000 to $2,000. I mean, they're a lot more on the upscale of the price with Armada than the X-Wing ships, just based off the of size alone. Um, I did notice that what happened with X-Wing here is definitely a sign of the times of Disney, that... There's that big push for marketing, you know, the products and the merch and stuff in the games are one of those types of merch that it's almost made the days of the gotta get them all collecting being over. Um, you know, you're really you're looking now at, at the only people that are doing that are like the two and one percenters, you know, the people that can actually afford to throw mad amounts of money at a hobby. Um, you know, I mean, it's it just became that thing that it's such a wide net for Disney to throw that. They don't need to worry about, you know, fans like like you and I that that just have to back away from the table. There's just too much for us to eat. And we just don't have the deep pockets to continue to put the money out for stuff that we couldn't couldn't possibly even devour all that content anyway. Um, but it, I, I like the aspect, though, that X-Wing is putting out so much stuff because, like you said, it, it is like Legends in a lot of ways. And one of the first things I tell somebody that's coming into Legends is, what do you like? You know, I mean, there's so many books, so many flavors and stuff that I wouldn't just toss you into, say, you know, an, an X-Wing book if all you're after is Sith stories or something like that. Or if you hate the Sith, I'm not going to have you read, you know, that that old era of the old Republic and stuff. I'm going to put you somewhere where you like. And that you can tailor the game to, to what you're after. And I think that's kind of cool. Um so, I mean, that's about it for me. I, I haven't got a chance to play them. For me, it's more about the ships. Um, and I'm kind of still thankful that Hot Wheels, at least, even though Black Series has stopped their titanium line, Hot Wheels is still putting out ships because I can still get my ship fix that direction. Um, but there still are some ships that I would love to get from the X-Wing game, the Ghost being one and the Falcon. I'd love to get bigger sizes of those ones. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a fan for certain types of ships. And the fact that these games are continuing to put out so many ships is a great thing for people that want to just every now and again run down to a little store and pick one up. I think that's kind of cool. Now, other miniatures games, of course, came out uh, – other miniature products, I should say, came out for Fantasy Flight because they have two different – lines of sort of the ground-based, character-based miniature games. You have the Warhammer-style Legion. Legion was enormous this year as well. 
Um, I stopped getting these eventually. Um, before I, and in this case, it was because again, I wasn't really playing them, didn't really have the space for them. And I loathe putting together miniatures. I would much rather the miniatures be put together to begin with. Um, but I know that for painting purposes, which is a big thing for this type, specific type of hobby, um, you need to have the parts separate so that you can get to all the tiny nooks and crannies. So I can understand that. It just was not my thing. But uh, they released mm -hmm. the uh, TX-225 GAVW Occupier Combat Assault Tank X-34 Landspeeder Rebel Specialist Jin Urso Bosk Sabine Rin Downed ATST Rebel Pathfinders and a limited edition version of Darth Vader at Celebration Chicago that kind of pissed a lot of people off. You can listen to Cloud City Casino about that. But basically, um, there was a lot of shenanigans behind the scenes where people were getting them and then they would show up to actually try to get them. Like people would get them who weren't trying to get them the normal way. And then you'd show up there the normal way when they open and they're like, oh, no, sorry, we're already sold out for today. You just oh. opened. It's been three seconds. Where the hell is it? Um and there was Rebel Veterans, Tauntaun Riders, Orson Krennic, and Death Troopers, etc. That was all before I stopped picking these up uh, and handed them off to some of our friends down here. Um, after I stopped, they launched actually a Clone Wars era line as another product line within Legion. Uh, that now includes a new core set of Legion, Phase 1 Clone Troopers, B1 Battle Droids, Droid Akaz, the Bark Speeder, and then they've announced a lot more. Uh, the Rebellion eras, after I stopped collecting them, also got Shore Troopers, a Dewback Rider, uh, new Luke and Vader expansions, this time as operatives instead of commanders. They also had an upgrade card pack. So a lot of stuff for Legion. On the flip side, though, Imperial Assault, which is more of the um, you know grid-based type movement, uh, has a story campaign mode, which is awesome. Uh, Imperial Assault had no new physical releases in 2019, but their app, Legends of the Alliance, has been updated. So Legends of the Alliance lets you basically play a solo or cooperative game without somebody else having to be the uh, Imperial. Oh, cool. And you jump in, and it kind of guides you, which is kind of like playing Maniac, or not Maniac Mansion, Mansions of Madness, uh, second edition, which I've got from uh, Fantasy Flight, where the app sort of guides you through it. And they added new raids, like a raid mode, to the game, uh, to the app, that could be done with these much bigger maps using either existing map pieces from the products that were already out there, or they announced they were going to have play mats available that just had the maps just printed on them, just like they did for some of the skirmish maps, to just jump in and play without having to build a map out of the map tiles. But Everything I've seen suggests that those playmats still have not been released, even though the Malastarian Outpost map uh, is already out, and the Grey Cap Cantina map either is out on the app or is about to be, because um, that was the second one that they announced. So it's kind of a an odd thing. They're still supporting the game in that sense, but they're not supporting it in terms of new physical products, in terms of characters, campaign scenarios, and so on. But it is pretty cool that they've got that ability. Uh, another way you can actually play this without needing the app, but wanting to do it solo with like an AI Imperial player. Uh, I forget the exact name of it. I will look it up as Mark is, is giving his thoughts. But I actually picked up through a company that does print on demand cards. There is a group on Board Game Geek. I think his name is Red Jack, R E D J A K, I believe. Yeah, it's Red Jack Automated Imperial version, I think is what it's called, so I don't have to look it up. Um, but basically, it's a huge set of cards that do all the AI-type stuff you would need to do for an Imperial player, 
with some some rule supplement type stuff where you don't need an app to be able to play with an automated Imperial so you can play solo and co-op against sort of an, an Imperial that runs itself. Um, it's actually really, really cool. And if you get the cards through that printing site um, that's available, that just kind of it's just for the cost of the actual printing. You're not actually paying for the products. So you're not violating the copyright law. Uh, far as I know, uh, <laughs> you basically um, I mean, it's just two giant boxes full of cards, um, but they're really, really high quality stuff. So just something out there that I actually tried this year that was pretty cool, but not anything official. Otherwise, Imperial Assault is basically just the app and waiting on playmats at this point. So, again, one going gangbusters and the other one barely existing. Right. Well, and miniatures is definitely one of those niches. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. Like you, you got those groups of people out there that they're just loving it. They're eating it up. Uh, and one of the things that I think, like, it's going good right now, but if it were to ever dry up, right, it, it even like X-Wing and Armada, right, they stop in the age of 3D printers and the fact that there's so many fans out there sharing files and stuff like that. Like, I, I think that 3D printers could fill the niche if these games were to ever dry up. But I think that because of that, these game developers are really paying attention and making sure that their stuff is pretty high quality. With Imperial Salt using that app. I think that that's probably one of the smartest things they can do because the problem I have with investing in these games is, is aside from like my son wanting to play it, I have no one to play these games with. So there's really no, I mean, it, it'd be just for me and it'd be, it'd be me just sitting down and playing with the, these figures like they were matchbox cars or something. I The app makes it actually something that you would want to invest in because now you're able to play it, which makes me think like, you know, if the people in these gaming communities that are putting out these games are paying attention Paying attention to what Imperial Assault's doing with that app would be a smart thing for X-Wing and Armada to do something in similar so you can have an app and play games like that on your own in that regard, too. I think that that's a smart way to go about integrating the technology with your board games. Um, you know, we've seen that with the, the the dice and stuff, but now having it play the other side. I mean, that's one of the favorite apps that I like to play is playing chess where I don't have to play anybody by the computer. I mean, that's sometimes just being able to play a computer can make something go and be a lot more fun than it was playing against one or two people that you can't find out there. <laughs> it's like me. I mean, I love, um, you know, digital card games, but I don't like playing against other humans. I'd rather play against the AI. Sometimes I'd rather have a story with it. So mm -hmm. some of the apps that are out there for things like magic and whatnot are pretty cool in that regard. Uh, mm -hmm. So it'd be nice to see more of that type of thing. This is actually a big trend right now on Kickstarter. Most Kickstarter games oh. that are going to fund and get a lot of attention will tend to include a solo mode in the game itself. Um, however, there's a risk to it when it's app-based, when it comes to something like, say, you know, Imperial Assault or... Mansions of Madness Second Edition, and that is that Fantasy Flight Games just had one of its digital arms close. The company is going through restructuring because I guess they're not profitable enough and dumped one of their digital departments. Um, thankfully, it wasn't the Ouch. one that does the apps for the board games, but the ones that were doing like independent individual apps is gone. And speaking of a of stuff that is going to be gone soon, uh, there are some other. Aspects of tabletop games for Fantasy Flight games. Uh, one that may or may not be going anywhere is Outer Rim's Playmat. Uh, Outer Rim, great game, came out the previous year. Should have had the Playmat out when the game came out. Someone screwed up. The Playmat came out months later. It's nice. It's cool to use with the game. It came out in 2019. But then you've got Destiny, that card and dice game, uh, the business model of which I loathed because it was basically a TCG collectible card game, random booster pack type model, and to get both dice that you would need to effectively use some of the better characters that are already hard to get, you'd have to find them twice to get two dice. 
Um, Never was my thing, but it continued this year with Convergence and Spark of Hope, uh, at least one new draft set, uh, Allies of Necessity and whatnot. So it kept going, but we received word that Destiny is ending. So just like with the card game, the Star Wars LCG that ended, it looks like Destiny will be ending as well. And speaking of possibly ending, we have the RPG line. You may recall the RPG line for Fantasy Flight Games started out with uh, Edge of the Empire, then Age of Rebellion, then Forces of Destiny, or excuse me, Force and Destiny. See, I still get that screwed up. This stupid naming convention. Uh, Force <laughs> and Destiny. Those three different separate product lines. They got to a point where they sort of collapsed it, so now there's just a Star Wars role-playing game line with source books that you can use with any of those three other product lines. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2019, they put out Rise of the Separatists, Collapse of the Republic, both of which together give you the Clone Wars era, Allies and Adversaries, and Gadgets and Gear. They have at least one more coming out here, actually, in the relatively near future as we're recording this in 2020. But the RPG line, uh, or the RPG department at Fantasy Flight Games, is also being chopped to bits. Oh, um, bummer. So there is a distinct rumor out there that seems well-founded, but we'll just have to see, that the RPG line for Star Wars will also be ending soon. Um, that anything that is currently in production probably will still be completed, a la six season of Clone Wars, basically, mm-hmm. um, back on Netflix. But that the idea of launching any new stuff for it that isn't already in development is pretty unlikely. Uh, so it looks like going forward... It's certainly going to be Legion and X-Wing that are the flagships for Star Wars for Fantasy Flight, which in essence they already are. But everything else seems to either be down to a trickle and barely getting anything or is dying uh, mm. either in recent years or in this coming year. See, with, with Destiny, that's not really a, a, an, it's not really a problem. In, in an aspect, I almost look at it like Legends. It's like, well, yeah, it's ended, but they haven't taken your card game away. I mean, you can still play it. The RPG one is is a hard one for me because, like, I understand the aspect of, like, you know, you've, you've hacked out that wing of the company, so you've got no one to produce it. But what I think therein lies is you've created an opportunity for someone else to fill that gap. Um, the RPGs and stuff have always been a great resource material for fans. Um, if you want to know more about that galaxy and stuff, if you want to just, you know, do your own kind of RPGs or Dungeon and Dragon like type things. And I think that someone somewhere out there is going to be filling in that gap, whether they're just doing their own little pirated version of things or somebody steps up and finds somebody to get some licensing down the road. Um, it's just sad that, that it's not going to be West End Games anymore. Or is it? Wizards of the Coast. Who who had it at this point? Hey, this is Fantasy Flight. This is Fantasy, this is Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight. Same, same folks that have all the others. They, they've got the tabletop license right now. So um, somebody else could get the license back then, like maybe perhaps, West End possibly. Games or, or uh, uh, Wizards well, of the Coast. Well, West End Games doesn't exist anymore. Um, oh, so, that's right. Okay, so, so that's tabletop games, and there's a lot of those. Uh, video game-wise, this was actually a pretty solid year. Uh, we saw more updates for Battlefront 2, uh, and including, basically, you may recall that one of the things with Battlefront 2 was that, that got me to stop playing was the grind, because they started introducing all of these different um, uh, different character appearances and character variants and stuff that you could get, but in order to unlock them required a ridiculous amount of grinding within the game, playing and playing, just, just to be able to get one of them, or spending money on crystals and whatnot that you could then use to buy them so that you were spending 
actual money for each appearance. And the prices when you converted them were were ridiculous. Uh, Very much a only for whales, as they call it, type of thing. That said, (laughs) this was the year in which, 2019, they released the so-called Celebration Edition of Battlefront 2, which actually gave you all that stuff that you otherwise would have to have unlocked uh, by grinding and whatnot, so that you have tons and tons of different character appearances and emotes and everything, plus all the regular content for the game and all the upcoming free content for the game as it updates. Uh, It made for a much better value proposition, albeit a couple of years after the game was already released uh, at a 40 bucks as a price tag. This actually has me interested enough. I might pick this one up digitally, since my original game was on physical disc. Mm -hmm. Probably pick that up digitally to be able to then play it on either of our systems here um, because I can just jump in, play and jump out without feeling like there's a grind that needs to be had. At least as far as I know, it may be that the grinding just, you know, it's just for other stuff now. Um, But that was out. We also had Jedi Fallen Order reach uh, PS4, Xbox One and PC, a story driven single player game, which according to EA, nobody wanted anymore. That then kicked a lot of ass market wise. Um, And then you also had for the Oculus Quest and then eventually the Oculus Rift and Rift S, the three part VR series, Vader Immortal, a Star Wars VR story or whatever they call it. Uh, But Vader Immortal episodes one, two and three. Um, They actually had a deal going where if you bought an Oculus Quest up until I think it was the end of January of this year, you could get all three episodes for free, although I think they're only like 10 bucks. To start with, I must say, really enjoyed Jedi Fallen Order and Vader Immortal, and the Celebration Edition of Battlefront 2 is tempting to get me back into it in small gameplay bursts, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for me with the gaming anymore because they, I don't like the idea of the amount of money they want for the games. I get why, uh, but it's just it's a hard sell for me when you know m- my dogs eat the controllers and the controllers cost sixty five bucks and the games are sixty seventy five bucks. Everything is almost a hundred dollars for everything you're doing. Uh, my son got Battlefront 2 on Xbox a couple Christmases ago, and I was like, why did you do that? We're playing everything on PlayStation 4, which really irked me. So I, I didn't get to play it as much as I wanted, and then it came down in price, and I went and bought it on uh, PlayStation 4 for like 20 bucks. Had I known that Celebration Edition was coming, I would have held out longer, because now I'm like, I'm in that same boat. Like, do I buy it a third time to get all the stuff that I really would like? I mean, and that and that's one of the things I hate about Fortnite. My son plays that game, and like he got the Star Wars uh, skins and stuff that came with that uh, when they, you know, they did the uh, Rise of Skywalker package and all that stuff when they announced Palpatine's message and all that stuff. And I love the look of the stuff, but I hate the idea that you constantly have to shell out cash to get these things that you can't unlock these things in the game. That really just pisses me off to no end. And I think that a, a big issue I have with these type of games is it became that either you're either grinding. And like you said, you just get you, you can't get nowhere with it or you just get frustrated with it or you're going up against what I call enhanced gamers. And by that, I mean my son, you know, these these kids and these old adults like that are even Nathan and my age. I, I mean, that have been playing games so much that like they've got the sensitivity up at the highest setting and any other person would sit down and watch him for a half hour and get sick from motion sickness because of the way they're whipping around. And I mean, I'm watching my son play and I'm like, how in the hell did you even know that person was behind that tree? I mean, he's moving so fast and he's picking these things up and hitting them on a dime. And I'm like, that, no, no way. There is no way. If that was a real gun, you would have hit that person. You're using some damn computer algorithm and getting lucky as 
all hell. And so that frustration has made it really hard for me to want to continue to play games. Uh, but that's not why I haven't got Fallen Order, though. Fallen Order, I just haven't got because of the price tag. I want to get that game so bad. I've heard so many good things about that game. And I've heard that there's going to be a sequel in the works. So I'm excited about that, too. Even though I don't have this first one, I'm totally supporting it. And I want to have that. Because one of the things I do love about the Battlefront 2 game is the story mode. I mean, I may have only played it three or four times, but I'll play it till I win it. And then I'll sit away and I'll come back a couple years later and it feels new. And I get a kick out of that kind of stuff. That That's my niche. So I hope for more of that. The Oculus VR Vader uh, Immortal games look sick. I've watched uh, a, a few of your streams on that. Uh, the idea of the different saber uh whatever the hell that saber was called and, and, and all the stuff around that was kind of intriguing. I was like, Oh, I want to know more about this. Um, and I think that's cool. I, I like the fact that these story games aren't just mindless fun, that they actually are providing some story opportunity. And I think that's always cool for those people that want to get immersed in star Wars. Yeah. Jedi fallen order was, was quite a good game. I mean, it sort of was almost like a dark Souls star Wars game with the dark Souls aspect to, uh, toned down a little bit. Uh, there are a lot of things connecting to the way that Dark Souls, for instance, worked. You know, the idea that, well, if you rest and you regain your health by resting, that's cool and all, uh, or you rest and whatever, except in this case, like in Dark Souls, you sit down to rest mm -hmm. and it refills your flask, which is what you can use to give you health. Um, and doing so, sitting down at all, which is also where you're allowed to level up, um, sitting out and all respawns most of the enemies. Oh, so, shoot. Yeah, so, except some of the bosses. Um, and when it comes to Jedi Fallen Order, it's similar. You sit down, and you could refresh your little health things that the droid carries for you that are kind of like the Estus Flask that you can use to heal yourself on the fly. Mm -hmm. And you can refill all your health while you're sitting there. But doing so, since they, they happen together, doing so respawns the enemies. Or you can just sit down to save, sit down to level up, and not heal yourself. In which mm -hmm. case you're fine. Um, combat wise, it's a lot more deliberate. Um, the, it's, it's a much bigger world than we're used to for many star Wars games. Speaking of world, would you say that it's closer to like a red dead redemption in the way that the world's laid out for you to explore? How would you describe that to someone who hasn't played many games? It's, it's open world to an extent. Like you can travel around and you can explore Except sometimes certain areas are blocked by you not having an ability to get through that particular area yet. Because the idea yeah. is that he was so traumatized by Order 66 that he has forgotten many of his Jedi abilities. And he has to sort of be reminded of them as he's playing. That's how the they bar the progression for a while. Okay. Um, but it's fairly open for a Star Wars game. Though uh, I would say that one positive is it has no microtransactions at all. Awesome. Um, another positive, really dig the story. In fact, the Inquisitor he goes up against is one of, well, the main Inquisitor he goes up against has one of the more intriguing stories of any Star Wars villain I've seen in a while, Ooh. outside of, say, Kylo Ren. The Ooh. downside is that for a game that has all this stuff to hunt down and unlock and, and you level up all these abilities and all, it has no game plus or a new game plus mode which would allow you to restart the game with all your abilities from the previous game. Because so much of the story is based on gating off things from you based on what abilities you have at that time. Moreover, when you finish the game, it throws you back to before the final battle that lets you then go and finish collecting the stuff you want to collect maybe for your trophy, but you can't go back and replay that final section. 
and there is no chapter select because it's more of a a, 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 a you know you hit the story points as you go as you explore. So there's no chapter select or anything like that either. So if you want to re-experience any piece of the story, you have to go back and replay from scratch. Oh. Which is kind of a pain in the ass. It's why since I finished the game and spent maybe two hours finding a few more collectibles, I have not touched it since. See, and I've, I've heard a lot it, of people being frustrated about the not knowing where to go and they were roaming around and losing hours mm-hmm. and just walking away from the game, which is how I feel with Red Dead Redemption. But I'm not really playing a story mode where my son is. I'm just like getting in there and walking around. And next thing I know, I'm just like, this is boring. I'm doing the same thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> Amen. So, um, so, I mean, fun. You definitely want to be making use of your map. It'd be nice to have a more more accurate like middle mini map or something. But it is a fun game. Um now, as far as Vader Immortal, very story-driven, not as action-packed, but it's cool to be able to, like, block blaster bolts with your lightsaber and send it back at a stormtrooper, mm-hmm. uh, or to uh, engage a rancor by cutting its claws. Nice. Um, uh, that sort of thing. It's, it's, a, it's fun. You get to do some uh, dueling. You duel with Darth Vader at one point, uh, and you get to use, like, this proto-saber. What's oh, interesting, so you're not though, Vader? I thought, I thought for sure no, you were No, no, no. No, Vader, basically, you are a smuggler. You and your droid are captured at the beginning because Vader needs someone of your bloodline. Because there's this thing on Mustafar that if he can activate it, basically sucks in force energy and life energy, but should allow to break the bonds of mortality and immortality and bring Padme back to life. Mm. The first time it was used was by an ancient queen on Mustafar when it was a jungle planet. Okay. And using it was what made it the hellscape that it is as she tried oh. to save her husband's life and instead turned oh. him into like this specter. Um, so it's actually the canonical origin story of Mustafar. That's awesome. As told through these flashbacks. But you are this smuggler who he then is who is force sensitive and he's slowly trying to train you. But it's all towards his end of being able to use this thing called the Aeon Engine that's going to theoretically be able to make him all powerful and bring back Padme and all this kind of stuff. Um, so pretty cool story, um, but very linear, but cool to be able to like use the saber and everything. And of course, this is on the Oculus Quest along with the other, it premiered on Oculus Quest. And if you're not familiar with that, that's a huge thing because whereas the Rift, the Vive, uh, or the PlayStation VR headsets are tethered, they are wired to your PC or to your PlayStation 4, Mm-hmm. Um, the Oculus Quest is a self-contained unit, like the Oculus Go, except the Go doesn't really have the the same capabilities. Um, so basically, it is a fully immersive VR unit where you have the headset and the controllers that include buttons and joysticks and motion controls and everything else for the tracking um, that doesn't require you to be wired to anything. So you can play it wherever. Um, most systems require there to be a camera pointing at you to track your movements. This has the cameras built into the headset and it looks at the world around you to track you and actually remembers your rooms and what your play boundaries are. So you're not running into stuff. Oh, Um, cool. It is a fantastic piece of tech. I love playing on this thing. I play all kinds of games on it. In fact, I play way more on that than I do on anything else right now, though part of that is just because I don't get a chance to really sit down and play PlayStation with you know, Kate around instead right. when everybody's going to sleep, I go in my kitchen, throw on the quest and start, you know, playing whatever, like whether it's the climb where you're doing rock climbing, 
Uh, that was a cool or, one to watch. Like, fighting against fighting against robots in Robo Recall, um, playing a Zelda-like adventure, um, doing uh, Beat Saber or the the gun version of that Audica by Harmonix. Um, it's some really great stuff on it. Um, it VR has been my go-to gaming experience ever since the PlayStation VR launched. Well, Quest even before that, you've that always been in on the 3D thing. I mean, you had the 3D TV back before most oh, people yeah, did. Oh, yeah, definitely 3D. Yeah, definitely yeah, 3D, yeah. too. But the VR experience to take it that next step. Um, so, and the Quest, by the way, will soon have hand tracking, so you oh, won't even need the controllers anymore. Oh, that's cool. So uh, so my old roommate is big on VR. Um, he's He's got the wired set. But he's got some new ones now that do hand tracking and stuff. And and he, when we were over at his house last, he had me hook up to it. And I was walking around. It was a pretty advanced game. And he didn't realize that at first. But I was getting sick from the movement. I mean, it was like it was some games, you know, you, you point at a direction, you click, and then all of a sudden right. you're jumping forward to it. And I would get sick on those ones. But this was a different thing. Like all of a sudden it was like my character was running, but I wasn't moving. And then it would oh, stop. Yeah. And I yeah. was like whoa what the hell is going on (laughs) so what you're experiencing so that it people used to say this is the same as motion sickness it's sort of the opposite called simulation sickness so motion sickness is like i'm riding in a car my body experiences movement but i'm reading a book which has me looking stationary at it so my so my eyes aren't perceiving movement but i'm feeling it with my body and i start to get sick because of that disconnect whereas with vr it's the opposite you're seeing movement your body's not experiencing it, and that disconnect causes some dizziness. It takes a little while sometimes to get used to that. The first uh, batch of v- uh, PSVR games I bought back in the day included one called Rigs. Uh, it's like you're you're in mechs doing sports, oh, and I about I felt like I was going to throw up after the <laughs> tutorial. I mean, it was rough. Um, I've got to the point now where my body is used to it. Mm. It's not as big a deal, but yeah, some games have free movement where you actually move around with the stick. We have more control over it. Um, uh, that's what I just finished uh, Face Your Fears 2, one of its campaigns. And it's kind of like that, where it's, you can sort of start to feel sick. Others <laughs> use teleportation. Others don't use that kind of stuff at all and just has you in one place. Um, mm-hmm. It just depends on the game. Like um, like Batman Arkham VR for PlayStation VR has you stand in one place the entire time controlling things. And when it's time to move to a new location, you just point, click, and you're there. Uh, or it automatically moves you there by fading out and fading in. But most systems have c- comfort settings to help with that. But it's all about a matter of sort of, ch- of uh, getting the body used to it. So, okay. so that takes care of the game. Right? Lots of well, the only other the only other question uh, I have yeah. for you though is with Vader Immortal, right? The story yeah. and, and the background for Mustafar sounds so interesting and so almost important. Do you think that it should maybe that story should also be told in another medium down the road, maybe like a comic or in a in a book where mm-hmm. we get from another character's point of view and get a little more detail on some of that? I think that I mean it depends because that's essentially the argument that you know any any story told in a video game should be told in another medium or anything told in a novel should be told in a comic because what if somebody isn't following that? Although this is a much more niche market kind of thing. Um, because not as many people are going to be playing on the quest and so forth. Um, maybe, but certainly at least within guidebooks or have Mm -hmm. it referenced somewhere. Um, the story is told essentially in flashback. Um, but, but yeah, I don't want to spoil much of it, but suffice to say, you know, that it's, there's a, there's a connection between the past and present, but not a heavy one. It's more like you're kind of the legacy of this and they show most of that within flashback. 
That's cool. I mean, it's just exciting to get anything in the past and having Sith ties. And Mustafar has definitely been a planet that I don't think when it was introduced that we were going to realize was going to have as big an impact further down the line in the, the new canon. I mean, it's we keep going back to Mustafar and it keeps delivering something new and tasty and Sith-like. And I love it. <laughs> what? Does everybody keep wanting to go back to Mustafar? The course brings us to the video-based stuff, as opposed to video game-based stuff. And, of course, the biggest thing this year was the end of the Skywalker saga, with Episode Nine finally being released. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker, which we did an entire episode on a while back, so probably not as much to talk about this time. Though I will say, it's nice to see the end of the saga promised by Lucas before he changed his mind, and then changed it again. But after he changed his mind that one time yeah, yeah yeah there's a ninth episode now <laughs> we finally got there <laughs> yeah you know and and uh i think the best thing for you the listener if you really want to know our nitty-gritty is just check out the episode that we really put it all out there um you know i i said before i'm not a fan of the sequel trilogy i did enjoy the movie uh i think i enjoyed that movie probably the best out of all three um but once it was all said and done, my love for The Force Awakens definitely diminished more based off of the two films that followed it. Uh, but I did think that the third film was a pretty solid uh, addition, even though there were some issues that I had along the way. Uh, I think Eye Candy all the way through it, definitely a bombastic movie, and I think it's definitely an adventure. Um, and we we came to a close on the saga. Now, as I think I think I have more to say on that. Like, is the saga actually over? Or are we just pausing for now? Because I still have people today come up to me and ask me all the time, like, so the Star Wars movies are all done, right? I'm like, no, we still have a trilogy. Come. They just made another announcement about somebody else, but potentially uh, directing a new Star Wars movie. So, you know, the movies are still coming. We're just not doing what they consider the saga film. So we'll probably have different openings from now on and all movies that start like Han Solo without a crawl will feel normal that'll feel like Star Wars and I don't know if we'll ever get a crawl again now what I'm wanting to know is now that we have like the MCU style Star Wars logo that appears before every episode of the Mandalorian are we going to start seeing that on things in theaters but oh. uh no I mean I really enjoyed Rise of Skywalker I wish they explained more I wish they explained more in other material but by the time it comes out on home video uh, digitally on March 17th, as just announced, or physically on March 31st. Um, we should have more answers because by then we'll have the expanded edition version of the novelization out uh, in mid-March as well. That I'm really, really looking forward to. I'll be reading, of course, digitally because books are out the door for the most part. All right. Then we have, of course, television. There's just not more to say as much about Rise of Skywalker because we have already spent an entire episode on it. But mm -hmm. television-wise, we have it. And television-wise, we basically had the end of season one of Resistance, the episodes Bebo through No Escape Part 2. That's episodes 12 through 21 out of 21. And then we had season two, uh, Into the Unknown through Breakout, which is episodes one through 13, with only six more episodes that came at the beginning of 2020. So almost all of season two of Resistance and the back half, basically, of season one. Um, what did you think about Resistance uh, up to this point? Not really the finale, I guess, because that's technically 2020. Um, I, but the, the, the latter half of season one and most of season two. Man, that show in general is one that just – me and Riley were talking about this on a, uh, a road transmission for our patrons about how 
it just didn't seem to get the same traction that the Clone Wars seemed to get. I mean, even the Clone Wars had some resistance going into it, and I would say even Rebels too, but both of those shows, by the time you got to the end of the seasons, it was like, you've got to watch the show. You've got to check in and see what's going on in the show. There are some big, big events happening. With Resistance, I never really felt like, I felt like the idea of Resistance was great, and then I watched the first episode, and I was like, okay, this could go somewhere. And then by the second episode, I was kind of like, I don't know what the hell they're doing. And I just kind of checked out for a while. And then when Disney Plus came out, I was all like, oh, hey, we got all these you know, these new shows and stuff. Disney's taken over. They've got this, this great new service. And now I can check out Resistance and get caught up. And I started watching it, and I, I found myself in the same boat of I've got, I haven't found an episode yet that has got me to – care to continue watching so like I, I watch it when i get bored and i've watched everything else and i'm like oh what else can i watch and then i'll put it on and i still think there's a, a lot of premise here because you know you're at that point where it's before the force awakens and the resistance is still kind of building itself up and we're trying to point out that the first order's bad and the first order's coming in all these places and then you know what happens in The Force Awakens and then going into The Last Jedi and the Resistance gets decimated. So they're going to be looking for people. So the Colossus and all this stuff like made a lot of sense. Like, hey, here's this great opportunity. You got this big carrier ship. You know, it's, it's a fuel station, all this stuff that you could have these pilots and stuff all help out. And it didn't seem like that was the direction they were going as it went forward. Like, it didn't feel like there was a lot of tie-in. So I'm still not in an episode that really has made the villains very clear aside from the fact that I see that red tie fighter guy flying around and stuff. Like I, I really haven't got to a point where the villains are clear aside from it's just the first order and we're after them. And Kaz just drives me nuts. Like I, I kind of wish Kaz was less Kaz and more like Poe Dameron. I mean, when the first episode starts off, you're like, okay, here's a, here's a new Republic X-wing pilot. Who's pretty damn good at what he's doing. And then he meets up with Poe and he gets assigned to be the spy. And then from there on out, he is just this complete klutz, a bumbler. And he says things that the Nikto guy takes way too serious. And, and I'm just the dynamic of the characters hasn't worked for me yet that I've been able to really get into that show. And I think that that's I think that's the biggest tragedy of the show. And then it ends with just two seasons. Like it should have been three seasons and they should have put the third season past what we got and maybe even all the way into Rise of Skywalker and have it end with the Rise of Skywalker. Like I, I felt like they sold this show way short and I don't know where that fault lies. I don't know if it was because they were worried about the movies coming in. They didn't want to tie in too much. I, I just feel like there was just so much opportunity and it was just such a drop ball. And unfortunately, in a lot of things lately, that has been a big problem I've had with the storytelling approach to the other mediums, even TV. They're focused so much on the films. And like we said at the beginning of the episode with Matt's comment on Twitter, that they're saving all that for the films, that these other things are just missing the mark and they could be putting out these big, massive explosions of awesomeness and they're just not quite getting there. And so I, I, I feel like on one hand, I don't have enough of the information resistance because I haven't been invested enough into the show. But I look around, and I talk to my other friends and I'm surprised with the amount of people that are in the same boat of me. The, the majority of the people that have seen all the episodes are people that are podcasting about it. Yeah, it's definitely not their strongest. I would say it's the weakest TV based Star Wars series that we've seen. 
uh, at least in modern day. I'm not sure that I would put it as worse than droids or Ewoks back in the day. Right, um, right. But certainly of the modern stuff. I mean, Filoni was busy with the revival of Clone Wars and with executive producing for Mandalorian. Uh, it was sort of left to a different individual this time, and it just seems like it never really went anywhere. Um, it didn't try to have galactic importance. It didn't try to have big, bombastic things most of the time. It's essentially season one, breaking of trust between two characters. Season two, fixing the trust between those two characters. The end. Um, a lot of slow burn type episodes. And I could understand that in season one. It begins with slow burn, Solid start, and then a bunch of episodes, you're like, why did you even spend the money to make these episodes? They are complete filler, and they didn't wind up having relevance really for the most part later. They just kind of were there to, to take up space and give us some goofy slapstick moments. And may I say, goofy is the operative word, because Kaz, with his long limbs, like everybody else that has unnaturally long limbs in this series, almost Tron-like, uh, Tron, was it, Tron uh, Uprising-like, right. um, the fact that he runs around like Goofy and his legs are all flailing and stuff, that's idiotic. It's stupid. Um, it's way Disney-fied and kitty. Um, you get to the end of season one, and the stakes are higher because now it's it's the siege. Now the First Order is there. Now it feels like they remember that it's Star Wars instead of just paying lip service to it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, here is our... Um, our crossover with The Force Awakens, holy crap, now there's more personal stakes with the destruction of Hosnian Prime. Okay, now they got to go on the run. And you would figure season two would be like, okay, now that they're on the run, surely there won't be a bunch of filler crap. Right. We'll have a nice series of episodes here where they keep up the pace. Uh, they The slow burn has reached the point where there's a flame. The flame will keep going, right? No. No, this is not the flame that will you know, burn down the First Order or whatever it is that Poe says. This is the flame that will fizzle out and almost die before flaring up for a couple episodes at the end. Um, and you keep waiting for it to tie into the grand scheme of things. You keep waiting for there to be a reason why this series exists at all in the grand scheme of Star Wars. And just like most of the comics, just like most of the novels, you don't ever get that. Instead, it really does. You realize by by the right around the time actually that the end of 2019 came around, as we we're heading mm -hmm. into those last episodes, the last six episodes into 2020, you start to get the idea. Oh crap! This really has only ever been basically about the bond of trust or not between these two characters, and they're only going to wrap up that storyline. Whereas mm -hmm. something like Rebels had different character arcs for all these different characters, yet still had the galactic scale and still had something that was that felt like Star Wars week to week. Not here. Um, it was a really heavy missed opportunity. Uh, but we'll talk more about missed opportunities with Resistance when we get to the home video part. Right. So was the slow burn episodes, does it almost give you the feeling like those were originally planned, but somewhere along the line, the series was cut short before the episodes that they had planned to come later never happened, which makes the series kind of almost feel like invasion in a sense. It's more like you. So the first season really is a slow burn. It's mm. little things put in here and there to build. The second season, there's a slow burn of one character's arc, but everything else feels like it's just thrown in there as filler so that every once in a while we can cut away to that other character and focus on pushing their arc forward a little bit each episode or each couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't feel like it's a slow burn that was building to something because you start to realize that that supposed second slow burn in season two isn't a slow burn to something epic. 
That's mm. all there is. It's only the situation for this one character that matters a damn in season two. And season two, because it also cuts short prior to Rise of Skywalker, as you know, granted that's that's 2020 stuff, um, mm. also makes it so that it feels like it fell short. I think a lot of people were like, okay, well, they're not going to finish this series until Rise of Skywalker is always in theaters. So surely there'll be a connection, or surely it'll be something leading into Rise of Skywalker, which is why we had to see the movie first so we didn't spoil something. No, absolutely none of that whatsoever. Uh, it yeah. was just, it was such an amazing disappointment. Now, I love Niku. I think he's a hilarious character. And the voice cast seemed to be all very cool. Um, though we didn't see it as much of them in behind-the-scenes stuff, say, as you would say, see with um, Rebels or, or with Clone Wars. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just it it fell apart. I don't know if I would have wanted a, a third season to be able to reach Rise of Skywalker or if we are just blessed by the fact that they cut it short and and finally put this staggering horse down. Right, uh, right. Which brings us to the launch of Disney Plus. And Disney Plus launching meant a few things. One, it was it brought a lot of of Star Wars stuff together that had been existing on other services and whatnot, like blips and forces of destiny and whatnot. Um, it launched with the first season of Mandalorian, which had eight episodes and all of which were in 2019. So all kind of par for the course here. Um, but then also it launched with the ability to finally see the Star Wars films in 4K. That is, the Star mm -hmm. Wars films that had not been released yet in 4K. And the two that were, uh, Last Jedi and Solo, joined Disney Plus later because they were actually held by an exclusivity con uh, contract with Netflix for a little while. So years ago, before Lucasfilm was sold off to Disney, you may recall they were working on 3D versions of the original six films. But Phantom Menace was yeah. the only one that made it to theaters. The other two prequel films showed at celebrations, but that was it. Well, the process of actually going through and doing that, before they could do the 3D version, they had to go back and remaster and recomposite in a lot of ways the actual film itself to get a higher resolution scan. In doing so, even though the conversion to 3D may not have happened for the original trilogy, it's hard to say, uh, but did definitely happen for the prequels, that upgraded scan became the basis for the so-called 4K McClunky editions. <laughs> and it included Lucas tinkering yet again by adding the McClunky line for Greedo before he shoots at Han and he gets shot. Um, I forgot about that. <laughs> most importantly, though, it's the first time the films could be seen in 4K. Had Dolby Atmos sound, uh, I think in all the cases, at least if not all, then most. And um, it fixed a color issue that had been present since the 2011 Blu-rays. Like if you ever watch the 2011 Blu-rays or any of the Blu-ray releases since or DVD releases since um, starting in 2013 when they, when they put those same cuts on uh, DVD uh, or the digital cuts, which premiered in 2015 and used those same basic starting points, except for the uh, uh, changing the, the opening fanfare of all but a new hope. Um, the color was just off to the point where like, if you watch the battle of Yavin, Leia is super pink, like sunburned looking pink. And that should not be the case. They fixed the color issues when it came to this 4K release. Um, they did some recompositing, so they're all minor tweaks here and there from a like an effects standpoint, but nothing that you know you would necessarily notice unless somebody pointed you to them. McClunky mm. was the only real major alteration here. Um, so it was the films that is one through six, plus seven, and Rogue One from the Disney era. Mm -hmm. all given the 4K treatment, 
and Mandalorian and bringing a bunch of other Star Wars stuff under one roof with the promise of Clone Wars Season 7 later and a Cassian Andor series later. Um, personally, I love being able to watch the films in 4K, but we'll talk about them when we talk home video also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really enjoyed The Mandalorian. I mean, The Mandalorian seems to be one of the only things that Star Wars fans can agree about these days, probably in, in part because of, well, in a big part, because of the child who is not <laughs> Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nickname. It's not Yoda. Yoda's dead. And didn't we also get the announcement that it was officially happening with the Kenobi series in 2019, too? So we knew that that was also on the horizon, which was exciting. Yep, the Kenobi miniseries that is coming, Um, although it didn't come out in 2019. Yeah, Uh, I guess Mandalorian, I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, it had a a decent amount of humor, um, solid mm -hmm. arc based uh, production, um, some great moments. Really dig the fact that when we finally got Gideon. Um, that it was uh, Giancarlo Esposito, I think is the guy's name, uh, who I've really liked in most things. Uh, it just played out well. It sort of felt like this is what you could do if you care about Star Wars and want to tell a serious story in an episodic format and not have your characters run around with their limbs flailing like effing goofy. See, right. even right. under Disney, you can have good Star Wars, in this case on television. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, one of the most exciting things is now that Rise of Skywalker's out and I officially don't enjoy the sequel trilogy as much as i do the other trilogies this gives me something in this trilogy that i absolutely love and adore just as rebels did when it came out and i was like oh man i love rebels it's one thing about canon i'll never throw away i love the mandalorian i love what it's doing i love the potential the tie-in abilities here to the clone wars and to rebels itself um i for me i think one of the downsides was the week to week but I get why they're doing it. I, I 100% get why they're doing it, but I just, I'm not a fan of that. I would love to just sit down and binge watch it all at once. Um, but, I mean, it gives you that opportunity once you're done to, to sit back down and finally do that. But one thing that we didn't get in the um, other stuff category due to this, and because of the surprise of said child, I like to call him the child, or, or as I like to say, his name is Da Child with a Y. He's Da Child. Uh, but the child himself... We got none of his toys because they were so smart because it's all childish Gambino's fault, Nate. It's all his fault because he had a conversation with Favreau and said, you guys need to sit on that stuff. You need to make that little dude the star. You need to surprise everybody. People don't get surprised anymore. Favreau listened. And it was brilliant. I mean, that little baby Yoda got my wife hooked. She wanted to watch it. All my girls were ready. They're all down. And what are we having in the next year? We're going to have plenty of toys that are coming, so that's cool. Uh, but we didn't get any in this year. I mean, it was, the, it was the year of baby Yoda toys that were being 3D printed by people in their garages. Uh, but when you get to the Mandalorian and you think about what this can do for the saga, for canon and stuff. I mean, Legends, is in my mind, Legends was always about three major factions. You had the Jedi, you had the Sith, and you had the Mandalorian. The Mandalorians came and gone mostly because they got caught in between the conflict between the Jedi and the Sith. And to have that comeback, and when we had that moment in Rebels where Kanan's talking to, uh, oh, was it not Gar Saxon? Maybe it was Gar Saxon. He was just going on about the Siege of Mandalore and what the Jedi did to the Mandalorians. And I'm just like, man, that got me so excited. Even though the Mandalorians we saw in the Clone Wars a little bit different, and then we had Death Watch come in. And then when we had Death Watch aspects showing up in the Clone Wars, I was, or not Clone Wars, but in the Mandalorian with the Clone Wars actual era in live action. That was so damn cool for me. I was beyond excited. 
I mean, even talking about it right now, I get a big old Sith eating grin on my face. Watching the B2 droids come out and stuff, I was just like, oh, are we? Oh my God. We are. And then when we watch all those Death Watch troopers come dropping down and they're doing their thing, I'm just, there's so many great moments of that where it does the back and forth and stuff where you're in the past and you're in the present. And I think that they're going to play on that in so many ways down the road. And you think about, you know, with the, with the rise of Skywalker, where we had certain character voices show up that tied in, you know, kind of importantly to certain aspects of the Mandalorian tale, or at least with the dark saber, you know, we know where its fate went up to a point, And then all of a sudden it's in Gideon's hand. I'm just, there's so much about this show that gets me super, super excited and so I've, I've, I may have thrown some spoilers at you if you haven't seen this show. But if you haven't seen this show, pay the money for Disney Plus. Watch the show. Even if that's all you're doing, it's so worth it just for that alone. My mom was talking about ditching Disney Plus, And I'm like, hey, don't forget, though, the Clone Wars season seven's coming. Like, Disney has got it going when it comes to their online streaming services. And I think that The Mandalorian is able to prove that. And when you, the proof here is in the pudding. What you're watching on screen is just so miraculously done. With the new technology they've invented for this show, the way that they're able to create sets on the fly, basically, and they look so just there. You know, I mean, if they hadn't told us that that was all being done live rendering... I don't think people would have believed. I been. I think people would have been like, where are you going? Where can I go to get pictures of myself here? All of the Joker on the stairs or going back to, you know, my most Eisley Cantina and getting my shot at that spot where Luke's looking over the dune or I want to be an Ender Force. You ain't getting that here because this stuff's all made up. Like I just brilliantly played out in the cosplay angle. You know, I mean, you look at the character, the figure that got launched for the figure Black Series. Within the first two episodes, that Black Series figure is now obsolete, technically. And I love that. I'm just excited as all hell. I'm waiting for a deluxe edition of that figure to come out that's got extra pieces that I can put on. Um, but there are other characters in this show, the supporting characters, that had roles that were just as heartwarming for me as the main character himself. I was so excited when we got to see Cara Dune's character and we got to see her tie back in at the end and it all came back together the way that that interweaving worked I mean I love Favreau for it but you definitely got the feeling that Filoni was whispering in Favreau's ear the way Lucas was whispering in Filoni's and I am looking forward to what these guys are going to be putting out in the next few years yeah it's a great series looking to see you know what comes next I gotta say that I think the episode with the bounty hunters going actually out on a job was probably my favorite just because it felt the most Star Wars-y to me is, um, is that I the guess, one on tatooine or uh no this is the one where the team goes the jailbreak out. uh the jailbreak yeah okay uh, yeah that was my favorite too yeah yeah really really great stuff i'm looking forward to seeing what's coming soon hopefully it'll be sometime you know uh where it's it kind of felt like it went by too fast because there's only eight episodes maybe they'll do right. more or maybe um we'll see a third season sooner than we're seeing the second we'll just you know it's, it's just matter of production times and everything um i will say that what i'm really hoping for with that um two well two things one that other people will join me on the bandwagon because i know that the phrases in the show get used a lot you know like uh i have spoken like this is the way right i really hope that others will join me in just like there's you know peace be with you and also with you and so on. And they'd be like, this is the way. And then the res the correct response is we roll, we roll. And they just keep going. But <laughs> I don't think that that's catching on as much as I would like, but I do it every time. It seems like, um, 
And then the other thing, though, is I would hope to see Mandalorian on home video because that is the big question. Right. Because previously we've seen – and this is transitioning us into the home video topic. We've seen that when it comes to shows through Disney that have been produced exclusively for a streaming service, sometimes they get home video releases, sometimes not. Like with Netflix, you had um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage – Iron Fist, Defenders, and Punisher, all of which were Marvel Cinematic Universe shows. Mm. Well, the first two seasons of Daredevil got home video releases. The first two seasons, I think it was two seasons, of Jessica Jones got a release. Luke Cage got one released, but not the second. Iron Fist over here in the U.S. never got a release, nor did Defenders, nor did Punisher. Um, So you kind of had to watch on the streaming service. You couldn't just have a copy at home to watch on Blu-ray on physical media. Although that was something you would see happening with other Disney shows, however. So Disney's pattern in some cases is just not to do it. Like uh, in the U.S. market, you could get, I want to say it was like the first three seasons maybe of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And you can get the seasons that came after that, except maybe the last one, I can't recall. Um, But they were released in like the U.K., but not released over here. So they just kind of stop. Like Agent Carter got a season one over here. Season two, you got to import from somewhere. Um, meanwhile, a lot of Disney shows that aren't from streaming services or that aren't MCU stuff uh, winds up being stuff that's uh, through their, you know, like Disney XD and what at our Disney Channel, as opposed to like ABC. Uh-huh. And for those TV shows, it turns out that with Rebels, we were really, really spoiled. Because Rebels came out on Blu-ray and DVD, and most Disney shows were only released on home video on DVD. That way you would buy the digital copies or subscribe to their channel, Um, or in this case, maybe subscribe to Disney Plus to watch stuff in higher definition. So it was not a huge surprise, but it was a hell of a disappointment Mm -hmm. when Resistance Season 1 was released in 2019 on home video only. On DVD wow. in 20 effing 19, only on DVD. Um, so we're in the era in which Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment, which is the official name of that arm of Disney, um, is really kind of skimpy when it comes to what they actually put out on home video, which begs the question of whether Mandalorian is going to see a release or not, whether Clone Wars Season 7 is going to see a release or not. Because you would think they want to grab people who don't subscribe and still get right. their money, just like Netflix did, say, with House of Cards, for instance, or HBO did with Game of Thrones with home video releases. But Disney's always had kind of an odd approach to it. And you got to wonder if they're actually going to do a home video release of Mandalorian, for instance. Um, and if so, what it would be in, because you'd want it to be in 4K, for instance. Right, um, right. It's so just, right. It, it begs the question. I would like to think that seeing that that CBS All Access has had home video releases on Blu-ray and DVD for Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. would be a good barometer to use because it's another of these company-specific paid you know, uh, uh, streaming services. Right. But... I don't know that we could use anyone else's model as a way of gauging what Disney's going to do, um, which is, is concerning. I, I think what they're doing here is they're playing the long game. I, I think we will see these things eventually, but I think you're going to get the Blu-ray kind of like, now released from the vault. It's blah, blah, blah that you haven't seen in 20 years. But they'll be like, 
Now, not only on Disney Plus, you can get the Blu-ray edition for the first time in 15 years. I mean, I'm 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 throwing the dates way out there. Yeah, I can see though. Disney does that sometimes. They put their stuff in the vault and then they bring it out later for another release. Um, Yeah, I just it'll it'll be interesting to see what they do because in essence, it's a selling point for getting people to subscribe to Disney Plus. Exactly. But you get to a point where the bootleg versions out there are so saturated because of how much Mandalorian, among other things like Game of Thrones, get pirated. Mm -hmm. That it's sort of that is there a middle ground of people who aren't willing to subscribe to Disney Plus? But do want to see it. Who would buy it on physical media? But if it's not available on physical media, their option, instead of going to Disney+, Plus, even to subscribe for one month and binge watch it all, is they're going to pirate it instead. Mm-hmm. And at what point does that audience disappear because those who were in there who might have bought it but otherwise were perhaps pirating it have already done so and now – they're no longer part of the market who would actually buy a physical one if given the option. Um, right. It'd it just be interesting to see. But speaking of home video stuff, uh, no new films hit home video this year um, because Solo was released in May of 2018, which allowed its home video release to be in late 2018 alongside the ones earlier in the year for Last Jedi. 2018 was the first year we had two Star Wars films actually get their home video premieres in the same year since the special editions, when it was three, but that was kind of a special case. Um, However, there was a huge seismic shift in home video this year. And that was because you may recall that prior to basically the end of last year, um, you had the original trilogy that, and the prequel trilogy that were sort of tied up. The physical and every other kind of distribution right for A New Hope was held by 20th Century Fox in perpetuity. Never would change unless they sold those rights off. Mm -hmm. Um, The physical distribution rights for the other original trilogy films and the prequel trilogy were all held by 20th Century Fox also, but only until 2020, part of a contract. But the non-physical means like digital were held by Disney because they were held by Lucasfilm, which was then purchased by Disney. But that meant that um, the rights to the films were all kind of scattered around. You had the new films being released through Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment. You had the older films by 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. The only real cooperation you ever really saw between them was in 2017, where Walmart did a series of exclusive reissues with new slipcovers that uh, had even the 20th Century Fox stuff, the original and prequel trilogies, come with a Disney Forces of Destiny Volume 1 DVD exclusive. But otherwise, you hadn't really seen any cooperation between the two on such releases. So then comes this huge moment where people people say that um, Disney bought Fox. That's not actually what happened. You had, uh, originally you had a thing called News Corp. News Corp, uh, or News Corporation, I forget which name came first or second. I think it's News Corp that came first. Um, But I may be wrong on that. But News Corp had split into 21st Century Fox and the other News Corp name. It was either News Corp, then News Corporation, or News Corporation, then News Corp. I forget the order off the top of my head. Um, But 21st Century Fox came out of that. 21st, not 20th. 21st was the company. 20th was the uh, movie studio. But 21st Century Fox owned the Fox Entertainment Group, which included, among other things, 20th Century Fox Film Studio, through which... You had 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment with those releases of the originals and prequels. Okay. Well, 
21st Century Fox got all split into bits and pieces. Some of it stayed Fox with what's now sometimes referred to as New Fox. Some of their um, sports channels got sold off. Some of them got kept. Um, some of their networks got kept and some of them went away. It, it, it was all parceled out. And 20th Century Fox was one of the pieces that was purchased by Disney. So Disney didn't buy Fox because that would mean 20th Century Fox or perhaps even mean the entire Fox Entertainment Group. They bought specifically a bunch of pieces of Fox Entertainment assets that included 20th Century Fox. Now that's going to be called, as of 2020, 20th Century Studios. Okay, Because that looks like you're forward-leaning when it's called 20th Century. Mm -hmm. um, but in doing so, it brought the rights to all of the Star Wars live-action films under one roof for the first time ever. Yay. Paving the way in 2020... For us to get Skywalker Saga box sets, which we are going to get here relatively soon at the end of March and other parts Thank, of the world. Thankfully, they're waiting till the actual last movies out. to Yeah, instead of it. doing Skywalker, like the Skywalker Saga book <laughs> or doing like the uh, Saga DVD and VHS pack back in the day oh, um, for Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. But, <laughs> but the last releases that we had seen of the films uh, for the original six, at least had been under 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. And they decided they were going to, I guess, sort of, you know, stake their claim out there with another round of reissues. So in September of 2019, we saw 20 Star Wars home video products released on the same day. 20? There aren't even that many movies! How uh, is it 20? You need a DVD-only version of each film, uh. and you need a Blu-ray digital version. I guess 20 is a light number then. <laughs> so we got um, 10 DVD-only versions, uh, which was basically episodes 1 through 8 plus Solo and Rogue One, and then a Blu-ray release including a digital copy, which is a big deal because for episodes 1 through 6 is the first time ever that a digital copy was included with purchase of a physical copy. Mm -hmm. um, for Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Solo, and Rogue One, kind of the downside uh, the digital copy gave you all the same bonus features as as ever getting the digital copy or physical copy with a digital copy code. But it was only the film Blu-ray, not the bonus feature Blu-ray. All the bonus features had to be watched digitally for this particular release. Um, it was the same disc as we had seen before for those. For the original six, it was the same disc we'd seen on Blu-ray since 2011 with new labels on top of them. So yes, we got the 2011 cuts again in September... And two months later in November, got the 2019 McClunky cuts on Disney Plus, rendering these obsolete wow. within two months. Wow. Uh, to make this more crazy than just having 20 releases and the first time they're all being released under the same banner of Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment, um, we also have the fact that this these, these releases weren't announced. Nowhere. Digital Bits started reporting, we're seeing listings for these showing up on some sites, and here's what appears to be some cover art. Hey, Disney. Hey, StarWars.com. Hey, anyone official. Is this coming? Friggin' crickets. Is that a marketing thing? Do you think that was all part of a cash grab with the last was, movies? I think it was, it was I mean, one, it was stupid, but I think part of it was not wanting to undercut Disney Plus launching mm -hmm. by saying, well, hell, I can just buy them now. Uh, even though they're not the same cuts, but we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know changes were coming. Um, right. But they did not announce the releases officially anywhere. And they launched the new releases on a Sunday. 
which doesn't happen in the U.S. And the U.S. Right. new releases come out on Tuesdays. So I'm scrambling around like crazy on the day that we think they're coming out because that was the rumored date because right. nowhere they announced a damn thing. I remember and seeing some, your post. Yeah, some stores got a few. Some stores got none. A lot of scores had them, had them in the back because nobody knew they were supposed to put something out on the shelves on a freaking Sunday. Um, it was a nightmare. Okay, and never had an, any kind of official release. Now, now you can find them in a lot of places, and you can actually just order them all through Disney Movie Club. Right. But that was not the case at launch, and it got worse <laughs> because then in October, word started more. leaking out from folks saying, "Hey, guys, uh, Paul De La Rosa was the one who told me this. Who is a, is a viewer of one of my YouTube channels or one of my YouTube shows? He says, you know what? There's a Walmart exclusive out there. Like what?" So, you, so it turns out that some Walmarts, in ridiculously limited quantities, like two or three copies at most, got wow. a little cardboard stand with posters celebrating the Skywalker saga and exclusive versions of those recently, a month before releases of uh, the original trilogy that came with some little exclusive like postcard-sized lithographs inside them. But uh -huh. you couldn't find them hardly anywhere. They weren't available on the Walmart website. Ordering off the Walmart website just got you the regular version, not their exclusive version. And most stores didn't have them at all. And those that did usually didn't have all three of them. It was a mess. You had to coordinate with people on other parts of the country to be able to get your hands on all three. But at least, thank God, it was only the original trilogy. Then came November. <laughs> and in November, all of a sudden... Episodes one, two, three, seven, and eight started showing up the same way. Oh, God. But again, not always together and not at every store. In fact, not at most stores. So, again, you had to work with others to try to coordinate to get your hands on these things. Now, Walmart, and these are the five, the 4K versions? Or are these still the no, ones before? No, them? these are just the regular freaking okay, ones that were okay. just re-releasing the old discs again. So, you get to the point where... You know, Walmart has done exclusives for several holidays, right? They had right. holiday packaging for Force Awakens. They had the holiday stuff that included Force of De uh, Forces of Destiny Volume 1 and all that a couple years before. But you're like, wow, I guess this is all a lead up into the holidays or something. No, because hardly anywhere had them. And then after Christmas, all of a sudden, you start seeing the exclusives showing up in most Walmarts. What are they doing? Um, ridiculousness. Now. Let's take this up a notch <laughs> and take this into March of this year. March <laughs> of this year, we are getting multiple versions of Rise of Skywalker. In the U.S., they've only announced one Skywalker Saga boxed set, which is exclusive to Best Buy. Other regions are getting multiple different Skywalker Saga sets. Wow. Um, uh, like, for instance, the U.K. has got a DVD-only one, a Blu-ray-only one, and then a Blu-ray 4K one, whereas ours is basically that plus digital copies at Best Buy. Um, but they've announced now, hey, at the same time, we're hitting you with a ton of stuff for Rise of Skywalker, and we're hitting you with the Skywalker Saga stuff. The fact that the Skywalker Saga box set is going to include 4K versions of the films like we see on Disney Plus means we're also going to release 4K versions of episodes one through seven, plus Rogue One that have never gotten 4K releases before, we're going to release all those on the same day, too. An extra $240 worth, basically. Um, but we're going to use the same packaging as in September of last year with those reissues 
that aren't oh, the God. same cuts of the films so that your packaging will match at least for episodes one through seven and Rogue One. Wow. Um, but it's going to be a Blu-ray 4K digital copy. Okay, you know, we probably could have standed to wait. And who knows at this point whether the Blu-ray copies are actually going to be the updated 2019 versions or the Blu-ray copies are going to be the old versions and only the 4K disc will be the new one. We don't know. Wow. Probably updated like they did in 2013. But, I hope. But that's the U.S., you see, we were really the only ones, from what I can tell, that got those releases in September on DVD and Blu-ray, right? Those 20. Mm-hmm. Other regions like Australia, they're getting all of those on the same day, too. What? So the they're heck? getting Rise of Skywalker, Skywalker Saga, the 4K individual releases, the stuff we're getting over here, and all those Blu-ray and DVD-only releases, another 20 on top of that in the region Man. all with the release here coming up for many regions in April rather than March 31st. There it's had to be a stockpile. Yeah, it is the biggest home video release we have ever seen for Star Wars. And for me it hurts because and this is self-inflicted wounds because right. I pick up all the stuff from the US. I pick up all the stuff from the UK, though I'm not sure if I'm going to do that for just the newer stuff like I have been or also pick up the 4K versions of the the other stuff, but probably. Um and I also tend to get the stuff from South Korea and one copy from Japan. Mm-hmm. South Korean stuff hasn't been announced yet. Japanese stuff hasn't been announced yet. UK stuff was released fairly early on. Most of the US stuff has been announced or it is trickling out at this point. I already am pretty sure that when all is said and done, and thank God for having extra students for extra pay that has let me squirrel money aside specifically for this purpose, knowing this was coming, I'm probably going to drop about two grand on releases for Rise of Skywalker, Skywalker Saga, 4K Star Wars stuff. Oh my God. In one freaking batch in less than a month, if you count the different regions having different release times. It is nuts. But at least we got the, as, as asinine as the handling was back in September and with those Walmart exclusives in October, November, that probably should have been released in September alongside the other ones so you weren't buying them twice right. uh, for many people. Um, at least we got those then, and it's not on top of all this other stuff this time, like they're doing to people in Australia. Holy crap! This is poor planning. At least, if you want, I mean, if the idea is to sell as many as you, as possible, you're putting enough out there that it's going to cost people who might have gone to catch them all to say, I'm not going to try to catch them all, so I'm not going to catch hardly any of them. I'm just going to get a few or one. Um but maybe their thought process was give as many options as possible for people, which right. in that case could theoretically be commendable. But holy hell. I mean, um, and the beginning of this all came from the welcome news that Disney had purchased, among other things, 20th Century Fox out of the 21st Century Fox, you know, splitting into pieces um, that allowed us to get those releases finally under the same roof. So it's this huge momentous moment in Star Wars home video, but between Resistance Season 1 being DVD only and the way they handled that stealth release in September, October, November, um, it was kind of a year that also has a big, you know, you know, wound to it. Uh, put it this way, the September, November, October coverage that's going to be in the second edition of a saga on home video has a section title because all the sections have little separate titles. The title is Stealth and Stupidity. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, you know, the fandom has been diverse and there are so many different headcanons, but I can't see that many people specifically wanting to get what some would consider a substandard version of Star Wars. You know, it's different than I want the original theatrical version. You know, that that 
idea. You're not getting that. You're getting just one of many tweaks and you're not getting the most updated tweaks. It's like, I, I have a hard time believing that they were just trying to cater to the market. It feels more like the cash grab go. Like we've got way too many of these older discs and we're about to come out with all these new 5K discs. Well, let's just drop them in everybody's lap and then they'll what, just start you know, buying them. What's funny is that for episodes one, two, three, four, five, and six, these are the same discs we had seen over and over again since 2011, but they put new labels on them for some reason. Uh, granted, it, probably, it, it probably had it probably had 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment, you know, stuff on it that they wanted to get rid of. But since they actually own those distribution rights now, and they can put out, for instance, digital copies without having to remove the fanfare for 20th Century Fox on them, um, you would think that that wouldn't have been as much of an issue. But again, you know, maybe it was testing the market for this, and maybe it's just the fact that you know. They wanted it so that when people got excited for Rise of Skywalker and went out and bought home video releases of the other films, that they were buying Disney-branded ones instead of right. it being 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment-branded ones. I mean, it, was, it was just bizarre. This was, by the way, the first time you could actually buy the individual films for one through six since the Steelbooks back in 2015. Otherwise, you were tending to have to buy them as trilogy sets yep. or the complete saga set, which the last time it was reissued was just called the Six Movie Collection because they realized it ain't complete no more. They're like, well, we're, since we're not putting out the TV shows on DVD, we've got to put out DVD. Let's just give them the movies. We'll just we'll fill in those same numbers with the movies. Well, what else we got? Well, let's give them more movies. Let's give them 4K, too. Let's keep doing it. Oh, wow. You know, thinking about the, the whole Disney Plus keeping certain things away and stuff, the aspect of the price of Disney Plus is about the price of a rental a month. And if you keep those things away, like you're saying, where you can't get them and the only way to get the good quality ones is on Disney Plus, that kind of makes sense. But then doing this with your physical doesn't it, – it just makes the other strategy look like, why? what are you doing? <laughs> Gotta love it. So um, I had included the whole Fox uh, split up thing as part of the other stuff for us to talk about this time around. But now we have, so there's no need to go back to that. So there were only four other things to address here uh, fairly quickly, hopefully, for uh, 2019 before we go into the comics next time. One was Triple Force Friday. May I say, Triple Force Friday was a non-event here. Yep. Nobody gave a damn. Yep. Uh, and most of the stores stocked next to nothing of the new stuff. It was very, very little. Um I don't know. For, maybe it's just the area that I'm in, but for, Triple Force Friday meant nothing here. You know, and I would say maybe that's the case, but years past, your area had one hell of a Force Friday event and stuff going on. Maybe part of this is the collapse of Toys R Us. Um, it was always seemed to be Toys R Us and Target were the big ones, and then kind of Walmart was doing their thing because they were open 24 hours. But even Walmart, by their second one, was like, well, we're only going to put out some things at that zero hour and then everything else will wait eight hours until the middle of the next day and then we'll put that stuff out and it was like after they did that then it became on the third time you just say i don't even know if this stuff's even gonna be here and i feel like confidence was shaken like no one knew when it was happening it wasn't really happening on the same type of date and then they were calling it triple force friday instead of just force friday it was like what the hell made it triple what made it triple is it the third time like i no, I don't think so. I thought that was like the fourth time, wasn't it? I don't know. They, I, I felt like they had a really good thing when they first launched it. But whoever came up with that idea just kind of like rested on their laurels after that and just kind of let it do its own thing. And what we saw is it peter out. 
I, I, I'd be surprised if we have another Force Friday again unless they come back and market it really, really hard. Um, and even then, it comes back to Lucasfilm marketed it well, but then when you get to the stores, they didn't have anything out. Or what they did have out wasn't the entire selection of the things they should have had out, which made trying to hunt those things down just as, as hard as, as what you were trying to do with the Walmart mm-hmm. stuff they snuck out on you. I wonder if if what it came down to is you know you talk about the 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 capital that has to be spent before you can make the money right the idea that they had to you know purchase the items from the distributor to then turn around and sell them for a profit I wonder if part of the initial deposit that was required was some feces because apparently they <laughs> only allowed Triple Force Friday to be a thing at places that gave a shit get it get it feces no, deposit the, anyway there was one guy that was a part of the original campaign right and every time they're like hey. Force Friday's coming around again. No, there's still damn Zuvios on the shelf. Not till they're all gone. We're not doing it again until the first line's gone. <laughs> like, whoa, calm down, Bob. <laughs> At which point they just kind of check off their little spreadsheet. So you're a no then. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. We also had uh, the launches of uh, Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars theme park. Uh, that had been touted for a while uh, through Disneyland and Disney World with it slowly growing as it went. And uh, as we've talked about already, the tie-in books and comics and stuff to go with it. Um, mm-hmm. Galaxy's Edge, we've talked about before. It is something I'm excited to someday do once Kate is old enough. Not a big fan of the crowds and whatnot, but someday we will do that as a Disney trip, I'm sure. Um, uh, probably in, not in a year where they've got two grand worth of home video stuff to throw at us. <laughs> um, uh once you start taking UK into account. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool that we finally had, I remember my excitement going to Disney World, the one time I've ever gone to Disney World uh, when I was much, much younger and being able to do Star Tours again and again. I mean, we came out of Star Tours. I was so excited. I bought my first two Star Wars RPG books, the uh, second editions of, I think it's second, maybe first editions of the uh, Imperial and Rebel source books. And I bought that god-awful bright silver reflective Star Tours jacket that looked like something Michael Jackson would have wore. Um, I was stoked. I loved, loved Star Tours. And Captain EO at the time and Body Wars at the time, where you, I think it's called Body Wars, you're like inside the body, almost like inner space. Um, to see Star Wars actually get its own theme park seems like an idea that was long overdue. But as soon as Disney bought Lucasfilm, you knew more Star Wars theme park type stuff was coming. So it's cool to see it, but... I don't know. I'm, I'm hearing bad things about lines and whatnot, but I also hear that about Disney World in general, too. Right. So uh, someday, uh, and I'm excited to see it, but just not for us yet. And and honestly, when it comes to the line narrative, it also depends on where you're hearing it from, because you also you got those people that are like down with Disney. that are like, I hear Disneyland's Galaxy's Edge has no lines. It's just a graveyard right now. Nobody's there at all. It's like. And other people are like, have you seen the pictures? Look at this picture. You can't even see the ground. <laughs> I think the thing about it that excites me is it's an immersive place. Um, you know, you, you've heard me complain about the little things that I've found so far, like the whole Kylo Ren's helmet not being broke and the mm-hmm. Falcon's dish and stuff, those tiny little continuity errors. But aside from that, they've gone to an incredible amount of detail to make it all kind of mesh. I think the issue I have with those other two things is they're relatively small fixes, and it's just like – why isn't somebody paying attention to those kind of things? Like that's that's been my thing from the start is why don't we have someone paying attention to continuity? Mm-hmm. The records. Uh, but, but I mean, so 
I'm looking forward to going and doing it in character, which a lot of people are doing. You can do the bounding and stuff like that where you're wearing your costume that's similar to the the guys. You can't be like in costume and costume. You're not walking around in a Jedi robe, unfortunately. Um, even if you want to be a Jedi that's lost and is looking for relics of your past uh, order, can't do it. You're going to have to come dressed as something slightly different. You're not wearing your bathrobe around in the park. They're not going to let you do that. Uh, but I like the idea that you can take your phone, you can, you know, people are kit building them out with old model parts and stuff, using the app, going around doing things. There's even, uh, there's a Wookiee mode on the Millennium Falcon ride now that was just announced today. Like if you do certain things, don't announce your presence in the app until a certain point and you have one pilot point the joystick to the left, one do the right or something like that and push a certain button and all of a sudden Chewbacca's roaring at you for four or five minutes throughout the ride. Like I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. Uh, the little things that tie in, like the way the kyber crystals work with your lightsabers and you swap those out and the parts, uh, the way that the lightsabers are, have been, you know, evolving, that this now is something that is, it, it's not something you would have ever seen before. Like I grabbed my Mace Windu force effects lightsaber. There's no spot for me to open it up to put in a purple crystal. I can't take the bar off, you know, the, the lightsaber's attached, uh, you know, newer ones. That's not the case. You can take them apart and stuff. They do all these other things, but now to be able to attach a crystal and put it in there, have it change the color, possibly even the sound of your lightsaber, then take that same crystal and put it into a holocron and have it do what holocrons do. <laughs> I mean, Oh my God, I'm I, I'm so excited to do that aspect of it. And then on top of it all, you've got that new uh, the well, I don't know if it's I don't think they've even built it yet. They've announced that it's coming. The cruise ship that they're doing at Disney World. I don't know if they're going to be doing it at Disneyland as well, but they're going to have that whole hotel that's all going to be themed like you're taking a weekend flight across the galaxy, and one of your stops is going to be Batu. I just think that is so cool, and it is something that we have never seen in Star Wars. I think the closest thing we've had to this would be the Harry Potter world. Um, I mean, even Star Trek, when they had the Star Trek experience down in Vegas, was close, but only in like a bar type, you know, one building kind of thing, whereas this is just an entire land. I think that's... Mm -hmm. Awesome that they've done it. And the fact that they're, they've got drones flying at night of little X-Wings that they've gotten with Boeing to have full-size X-Wing drones eventually at the park. Like, oh, my God. The the amount of Imagineering that's going into this is just insane. And that's exciting. So I, I'm like you. I haven't got to go yet. I'm looking forward to going. Um, I'm thinking right now, like, if I do make it down to Celebration, I'm not going to Celebration. I'll be going to do... Uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that that'll be where I'll end up doing and I'm only going to be able to do the celebration angle from the outside seeing people from outside the building kind of thing and bumping into them after they're doing their thing because it's just too much and I think that's the downside about this Disney era is it's just too much of everything you know I mean he, even poor Nate he's he's sold off his books and his comics and physical collection and all his other figures and he's still dropping two thousand dollars on movies I mean, there's just too much of everything and still, still yet not enough of my EU. I'm just like, I need more of that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's just, there's just so many angles that galaxy's edge is playing with. When you think about the merch that they're selling, you know, you go into doc Ondar's and you've got all these relics and stuff and things that you've seen in the movies and back backgrounds. Like you can get statues from Palpatine's office. Um, you can get lightsabers from different eras, lightsabers from the, uh, the Clone Wars, the Sentinel Guards, something that we've never really seen in live action, and yet you can have that. You can build your own lightsaber, and these are at prices that aren't ridiculous. When I bought my lightsaber, my very first one in 99, I bought it through Brian's Toys Magazine, and I paid $200 for it. 
it did come with a lightsaber blade that could come out. Uh, it had no sound effects. It wasn't an LED light. It was that Indiglo technology that you would get in your in your uh, wristwatch. You push a button and the entire lightsaber lights up all at once and it looks just like that Indiglo color. You could get it in two versions, a blue and a green. They were both pretty much the same color. It was just a slight tinting. One was more bluer than the other. And the entire hilt itself was just aluminum that had been carved. Uh, it, regular bolts and stuff, hold it together. Nine volt battery ran the thing. I paid the same price. And I love that purchase. In fact, that purchase has lasted with me. It was only this year at summer camp that I dropped it on accident because my belt broke. The, the My prop belt that I had broke and the saber hilt fell right on the power button and broke the button onto the inside. So I could fix it. It's a cheap fix. It's just a pain in the butt type of fix and I haven't done it yet. But I'm like, as a prop, this thing has worked and it's it's worked the life of the product for me. The 200 bucks, I it's a great investment. But now I look at the same investment. I'm taking 200 bucks. I'm going to Galaxy's Edge, and what I'm getting there for the same price is so much more in quality. I mean, the the one that I've got is probably the closest to an actual movie prop in style compared to the ones that I have here at my house. The force effects that I have is the Mace Windu, and I've got the Kylo Ren. Both of which of those are much bigger in my hand than what you see in the movie. But that's I believe that's not what you're getting with the ones that you're getting down there. They're exactly legitimately the size of the things should be. They have the opening so you can put your, your little crystal in there. They do the LED light with multiple LED lights now because the LED light technology has come so far. And they light from the bottom all the way up. They got the sound sound effects. You bang them off of things. They're stronger than they used to be. My Mace Windu, I banged it on some things so there's some LEDs that broke. They're a lot more sturdy. The blades come off. They've got little kits, cases. And you're paying the same price that I paid for that one. And it came with none of that stuff, just the saber. I think it's a brilliant move on Disney's part in this regard. And I think for people that get a kick out of going to Disneyland and people that get a kick out of Star Wars, you're having a heyday right now. I am so envious of all my friends that live within 50 miles of Disneyland and have an annual pass. Like I would be spending all the time down there if I lived down in Anaheim. I think I would be doing everything I could to get hired on. I mean, that would be my dream job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you on the merchandise. The merchandise looks so cool, but at the same time, like, yeah, that adds so much more to the cost of going at all. You know? Right. And I'm going right. to go, I want to go all out, but my God, it's going to be expensive as hell, which is why you know, I'm not even sure I want to look into the numbers right now. Um, right. As for drones, I heard as well about the whole, there's going to be drones of X-Wings and stuff flying around that are full size. What could possibly go wrong? Right. I'm waiting for the first story of the drone crashing and killing people. <laughs> Disney has um, but, to know, give a big lawsuit out to Boeing for the car that got smashed by an okay. X-wing. Yeah. Um, and then, but I do, I do really appreciate the efforts they've gone to to uh, tie it into the reimagined Battlestar Galactica series. I thought that was a really, really cool touch that they did, um, having six running around. Oh wait, no, I'm being told I'm wrong. That is Vi Morati. That is Vi, not six. My apologies. Um, let's see. With that. Like we have a control room. We barely have control of ourselves. Um, <laughs> we also had, of course, Celebration Chicago this year. Um, not one that I went to. And honestly, I don't remember a whole lot from it as far as big revelations. I mean, I know we got to see Clone Wars trailer. We got to see a little bit of Mandalorian stuff, except some of the Mandalorian stuff that they showed, of course, could only leak out by bootleggers, you know, who happened to slip their phones in there because they didn't right. allow it to show on the friggin' streams again. Um right. But, I mean, some of the panels were interesting, but I found that I just, for whatever reason, I just didn't follow it as much this year. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. 
Um, but of course, another Star Wars celebration, this time in the Midwest. I'm kind of returning to the roots in some ways of celebration. Um, although in this case, Chicago instead of Indianapolis. And uh, as far as I know, nobody died. So that's good. Um, it's just bad Chicago joke. Um, but yeah, I mean, not a whole lot for me to say about it. It was just one of those things where it was, you know, it's interesting to nope. see revelations coming out. It just didn't feel like it was as momentous as some years of celebrations have been, but that could have just been because of where Star Wars was and the idea of, of revelations now being parceled out between that and San Diego Comic-Con and D23 and so on and that sort of thing Winter as far as not really having everything come through celebration. Right. Now, you, you've you never been to a celebration, or did you get to go to one of the earlier ones? No, we went to, we went to uh, Orlando the time prior to Chicago. Okay, okay, okay. So you went to the one after the one I went to. All right. So, we went to the so one I, where they premiered Last Jedi trailer and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, so when I've noticed with myself, right, I came back from Anaheim and I was just beaming. I'm like, you know, this is this is every Star Wars fan needs to take this pilgrimage, go out there, recharge your batteries, get with your fellow fans. This is awesome. And as each year has gone on and each celebration has come since there, that feeling like I want to get back to that feeling, but my feeling about celebration has totally shifted. And like I said, I, I, I don't think I'm going to go to this one. I think if anything, I'm going to go to Galaxy's Edge. That's more of a money direction. But what you were hinting at there with, with the information that they're doling out and what they did at last year's, I think that that's part of what for me has has died away. There's, you know, there's there's less books of a nature that are exciting when they announce the books. It's more, you know, here's a book title and hmm, I wonder what what they're going to do with that, because, you know, they're not going to tell a big story event. We know that's not going to happen anymore. Um, and so same thing, like we, we got some comics announcements coming up, you know, we get, we get those dulled out, but those happen in all these other things too. So now celebration feels like it's more about just getting with fellow fans. And I, I, I'm conflicted here because on one hand, when I did do that, I came away beaming. It was great. And I felt so good. But the other side of it is the vitriol with our fans is, has gotten worse. I mean, it's always been there, but. I feel like fans are so at each other's throats with so many topics that there's a part of me that's like, why would I want to go and be at a place where all those fans are together? Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's that narrative that we have more toxic fans now than ever before. And I kind of fight that. I feel like, you know, no, we have more vocal toxic fans than ever before. But we've had the same type of fans that have always been there doing their same stuff as ever. And I just don't know if I want to, you know, go and put myself in a place where like online, I don't tend to be in groups of star wars fans that are 25k why because there's tends to be about 12 to 20 plus trolls of the a-hole variety just getting their kicks out of being d-bags leaving d-bag comments and things like that that they know are just going to rile people up and i don't know if i want to you know run into a situation where i'm around a potential more of those people you know, if I avoid those groups online, well, maybe I should probably be doing the same thing. And that's where I was like, well, if I go, I'll just go down and I'll do Galaxy's Edge and I can get with my friends that I do want to hang out with or anybody that wants to hang out with me. And I don't have to bump into people that are going to be like, well, you is never can in any way. It's like, I don't want to get in that argument with you. Like, I, you know, it's it's like the thing with, uh, you know, uh, the Clone Wars season seven coming out. And I was all like, hey, yeah, we get some Clone Wars and then we get some legends technically. And I know they're going to shoot that down. But as of right now, I'm going to ride that pony until I can because the Clone Wars counts as both. And so I'm going to until it conflicts and I get that statement that I know is coming that I honestly feel should have already came. Uh, but there are people out there that are going to pick at whatever people like because that's just what they do. 
And I kind of think that that's kind of for me that the the highs of celebration have kind of been masked by those other aspects. And because I haven't been there in so long, I'm I'm starting to feel that kind of like, I don't know if I ever really need to go back. Like I could get the same kind of thrill doing other things at other locations and other venues. And I don't know. I don't know if that thrill is going to do it for me anymore. I mean, exclusives that were there when I was there weren't that great. Like it was a, it was a pain to get the exclusives in the first place. And the panic that kind of came with that of like, oh, my God, if I don't get this exclusive, then this this isn't going to be as fun as I was having because I had my eyes set on that one thing. That was one of the one things I had to have kind of thing. And all that tension that comes with it. I'm just kind of like, you know, I don't need that pressure. I'm just I'm good without it. Uh, arguing with D-bag toxic fans. Uh, I believe War Games said it best. It's an interesting game. The only way to win is not to play. Mm-hmm. All right, which leaves us with one last thing. Um, not really much to say about it, but uh, we should recognize that uh, 2019 was also the year we saw the passing of Peter Chewbacca Mayhew, um, someone who had been a beloved part of Star Wars, not just as the character, but as the man, as he interacted with fans over the span of about 40 years um and just uh, someone who will certainly be missed um mm-hmm. they can replace the actor inside but in terms of the heart in terms of what he brought in terms of his positivity um there are only so many people from that era that really feel like they have the same type of often unbounded joy in many cases uh, as you saw with peter mayhew it's it's the kind of excitement you would expect when you see interactions of like john boyega Kelly Marie Tran, you know, that enthusiasm tended to still sometimes come through Peter Mayhew. And it just it was one of those things. It was kind of cool to see. Um, So, uh, you know, rest in peace to Peter Mayhew. Um, uh, He will be missed within, of course, the fan community. And uh, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of sad that he wasn't able to see the saga through to the or the Skywalker saga, at least through to conclusion, even if he wasn't playing the role, uh, which makes me wonder if maybe he might have got a chance to see anything related to rise of skywalker early on but uh right not really sure right right and he wasn't the only i mean we we lost a couple other people was it uh voda and mcintyre passed away shane rimmer uh what was the other one uh ken something was it ken uh no frank frank henson also passed away yeah was, but mayhew was definitely one that i i think anybody that went to any kind of convention or went to uh like Dragon Con and things like that, and Bundo, the places that he familiarized himself with, you would see him. Um, you know, one of my favorite memories with him was the 501st got done with the shirt uh, shoot up on the roof at the Anaheim uh, Center there, and they were all coming down. You know, most of them were riding the escalator down, waiting to go down the next escalator down. And Mayhew went over to the elevators and we were like the next ones to go in, and I recognized who it was, and I was just like, hey, you can, you know, you can go ahead and go first. And Gavin had no clue, you know, who we were letting on to that. And I'm, like, once the door shut, I, I completely had lost my, I kept my cool all the way up until the door. Like, I was like, freaking out at that moment. And I got one picture, but it was like, and I felt kind of bad. Cause I was like trying to be sly. Like I was taking a picture of Gavin, but I wanted to get Peter in the background of the shots. It's kind of like, I was like, I don't know. It was probably shady fan thing of me to do, but it was one of my pr- prized, cherished moments of celebration. And when he passed away, you got just this outpouring of people that had these great moments with him. And you got to learn so much about him that he kept private, too. And, you know, it, it wasn't like the bad stuff. It was all the good stuff and the love. And that was that was a beautiful thing. 
almost feel like when we see Chewbacca react so heavily to the loss of Leia in Rise of oh, Skywalker, God. there's a degree to which there was a channeling of one Chewbacca player mourning another because of how fresh that wound would have been. God, yeah, um, that was a great scene, too. Mm-hmm. So... So yeah, so that wraps up our other stuff coverage pretty much. A lot of stuff, but that should just leave us with the comics to take on. And then remember, folks, after we get done with the year in review, we are going to be doing that feedback episode. So make sure you also send some feedback over to us. Uh, Send it through email so we can actually hang on to it and use it. Uh, SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. We'll tuck that away for usage as we head towards the feedback time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and iTunes as well as Spotify. And we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's literally the best way to interact with us. It's our home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or if you just have a comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com, as Nate said. And remember, send in that feedback. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe, the Legends universe, the Harry Potter universe, or even the Halo universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate, because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. They don't care if you didn't like it or if you dropped it. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, it's been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that I'll have anything really to say here. I think I blew my creativity on fecal deposits. (laughs) What are the odds that they'll be like, season seven, we'll let it be in Legends 2. Nah, I don't see that happening. But, you know, hope springs eternal, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Like fecal deposits. <laughs>